personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Thank you for tuning in to the Recondition podcast. I'm Lauren Vaknin. I'm a health writer and holistic wellness coach. And my own journey from disability to remission taught me that wellness through a mind-body approach can take time when we don't know where to begin. And that's why I created this podcast, to bring you the answers to all your well-being questions in the most accessible way possible. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me again on Reconditioned. I'm actually recording this only a few days after I've actually launched Reconditioned as it is now with the first two episodes and I've had such a great response so I just wanted to start this off by saying thank you so much to anyone who has downloaded episodes. I'm a bit shocked actually at how many people have enjoyed the episode, well not how many people have enjoyed but how many people have downloaded it so thank you so much. It means so much to me. It just shows that the content is what you guys are looking for, especially Karen Hurd's episode, um, all to do with nutrition and health and the body. So yeah, thank you so much. Today's episode, I was with Leo Cosende, who is a sound meditation practitioner, a sound healing practitioner. He is one of the most well-known gong bath facilitators in London, but he practices all over the world. And um, I actually met him last year. We, we recorded an episode, but never got to put that episode out. So we thought we would record again now. And I don't know if any of you have heard of ASMR, that tingly feeling you get when someone speaks and their voice is just hypnotic and makes you want to drift off into a lovely sleep somewhere. That's what you're going to have on this episode, because Leo's voice, I mean, I it was... A challenge for me to stay coherent through the interview. His voice just puts you into some sort of altered state and so the irony isn't lost that he is a sound healing practitioner um, but the sound that he heals with is the gongs, not actually his voice but his voice was just absolutely hip- hypnotic and um, yeah I mean you're going to get so much from actually listening about the healing power of sound baths and why they make meditation so much more accessible like if you feel like you're someone who doesn't know where to begin with meditation but you know you want to sound baths are a great way to start with that because you don't actually have to do anything yourself you just lie down and let the sound take you into an altered state of consciousness so you will get so much from actually the episode as well but you will also get a lot from listening to his very lovely voice um so I hope you enjoy it and don't forget to leave me comments and like and follow and review all that good stuff because it really helps other people to find the podcast and if you're not already please follow me on Instagram at Lauren Vacney and any other info you need is linked in the show notes below. Enjoy the episode guys. Leo Cosende is London's top sound meditation teacher. 
He is also an author and founder of the number one sound meditation app, Third Ear. Leo is changing the way people interact with sound. His work in making gong baths accessible worldwide has gained him recognition as a leading figure in the wellness movement. He teaches in London's leading yoga studios and gives workshops, seminars and talks internationally. He has been featured widely in the press, appearing in the Sunday Times, Forbes, The Guardian, Huffington Post and Evening Standard to name but a few. GQ says of him, Kosende is the kind of smiling European who makes any abstract concept seem like the most logical thing in the world. He is almost astonishingly kind and attentive. And I can kind of attest to that, Leo, because we actually met last year and um, recorded an episode and we never got to use it. So you've kindly agreed to come back. So thank you. Yes. And can you hear that I'm smiling? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're that smiling European. (laughs) Exactly. No, but sound... um... Sound gets carried through the smile. It's interesting how smile has a sound. You can hear it when you're talking to someone on the phone, whether they're, you know, pouting or sad or whether they're smiling. It's quite amazing. It's so true. I always used to think that really randomly about. Do you know the um, the DJ radio DJ Margarita Taylor? No, I don't. Well, she used to be on um, Capital FM back in the day, and I think she's on on Classic now. But she sounds like she, she always sounded like she was smiling and you can listen to her whole three hour show and she always sounds like she's smiling. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, um, it's something that we don't think about, but it's universal. It is. Um, so obviously you've got a really interesting story in the way you came to sound healing. And I always think that people's stories and their journey towards where they are now gives what they do so much context. So I always like to start with that. So if you could take us back through your journey, that would be fab. So, so yes, I guess I, um, I experienced panic attacks from a very young age. And I guess the first experience, as far as I can remember it, and I know that memory is quite fallible and it, you know, it changes every year. But I think my first panic attack was um, at a restaurant. We're having pizza with my family. I have three siblings, two parents. And obviously didn't have a clue what was happening. Um, alarm bells on, heartbeat going really, really fast. Felt totally te- you know, terrorized, really. And I made my way to the toilet and managed to calm myself down. I don't think I did a great job, but I, th- I don't think it was a very strong attack. So I guess I didn't faint, which has happened to me in, you know, later on in the process. Took some time to um, to recover, I guess, and then eventually made my way back up and, and didn't tell anyone. I think that's the takeaway from this first panic attack is that I didn't tell anyone. I don't know if I felt ashamed or if I didn't feel like it was necessary to talk about it. I think it was probably a bit of both. Do you think maybe as a child also you don't know what the experience is and you don't even know how to articulate it? Well, yes, and I think, you know, that was, what, 19... 99 I don't think many people were talking about it you know mm-hmm. nobody in my family was talking about it no none of my friends were talking about it so it was it was the unknown very sort of unexpected and uh, scary <laughs> it's not something that you can control you feel really out of control in fact and you don't know when it's going to happen how long it's going to be what it's going to do you know, this, this, really this fear of dying, I think, which to some extent we all have, but I feel it's really exacerbated when it comes to um, panic disorder and panic attacks. 
So it lasted for, yeah, almost a decade. And then I moved to London, um, really got in, into music as a teenager. And then music um, took me, <laughs> or got me, um, close to uh, my future wife, Sarah, who, who then introduced me to my first sound bath. It took me to my first sound meditation. And, uh, and that's when things really started shifting. How did they shift? I don't think it was instantaneous. I think it, it took some time, but my first sound bath gave me this, this feeling that things were going to be all right for the first time. And that I'd found, I'd stumbled upon an experience that I knew was, was healthy on all levels, that was not dangerous, and that was legal, and that, that felt like home. It kind of felt like home, you know, in a strange way. You kind of, you go somewhere in a sound bath, and, and it might not feel, from the outside, it might sound like you're going you know, out of your body, and that you're going to the universe, or whatever, into a fifth dimension. But really, I think, It'd been a, a long, long time since I hadn't felt home, even though I was, a, you know, not at home, I was in a venue in Camden. So, so I think that was a potent realisation that my body could be in a state of homeostasis, a state of relaxation, and that it was okay for me to be in my body and to feel safe. And, and that might sound like something, you know, that's pretty obvious that and that everyone you know should have access to that on a daily basis but that wasn't my case I would say so what did it actually do for you physically so my nervous system radically improved after the first session and and then there might be the odd episode which was very light you know and very quickly I was able to take the tube again which was something that I was avoiding at all costs you know, I used to I used to basically design my life around the panic attacks and the anxiety. And that changed very quickly. And then I think being exposed to sound and having um, an open mind, accepting certain suggestions from Sarah and other people in my network, my entourage, then helped to to really kind of have a three sixty impact on um on my life and how I felt. So I think sound then made me make certain choices, if that makes sense. I never think that one thing is entirely responsible for one's life. But I think sound is very much a centric element. It's a pillar to, um, to the change that I've experienced. The changes, I might say, I think I've really... I think we all do, regardless of what we do. You know, even people who, who don't experience any suffering or pain we don't experience anything sort of out of the ordinary in terms of you know in terms of like the esoteric and the conscious conscious and unconscious realms i think yes we all change but uh, sound certainly accelerated um, my journey i would say yeah I love what you said about it's never one thing because I always work on that premise as well that, you know, people often say, oh, was it, what was it that healed you then from the arthritis? Was it the homeopathy? Was it the diet? And I always say it's never one thing, never one thing in isolation because if you take one thing and then 
you know, you could be, for example, I always say, I could use homeopathy and have the best homeopath in the world. But if I'm going out and eating rubbish every day, I'm not going to get better. So, you know, I like that you said that because it, you can say that sound had a really big impact on your life and perhaps even it was the thing that had the biggest impact. But I always like to take an integrative approach. So I like that. So what happened then? Was, was it after that that you started your training? So very soon, I mean, I ordered a gong, you know, three weeks after my first sound bath. So it was very, very mm-hmm. quick. And, um, and then, yes, I guess I... I really got to work you, you might say I, I really spent hours with my instrument did a lot of research uh, obviously I had um, you know quite a lot of musical training already um, um, through the years and and then eventually started working with yoga teachers uh, holding sound baths at the end of their yoga classes and eventually people wanted more so I started doing a full-on sound workshops what I like about you that you've said before and you didn't say here is that you spent a long time practicing and studying the gong before you actually took sessions yes that's right yeah it was like a pregnancy it was like nine months of like hard work (laughs) like spending hours on the gong every day getting to know the instrument and it's a funny thing because you know it looks like a simple instrument really it's just a disc a metal disc you know, in a couple of mallets, and really, uh, any child, any toddler can, can technically have a go. But I think I some I somehow knew intuitively that there was a lot more to it, and I think it's a very subtle instrument. You know, but it's not it's nothing like a you know a harp or you know or a trumpet. It's very very different. It's 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 not really an instrument. In fact, you might say, I think it's you know sometimes people say. It's not that they're in another league, it's that they're making another sport out of this because it's so different or they're doing such an amazing thing with the, um, the practice. And I think that's what a gong is. It's really, it's an art, an art of sound. And sound here is different from music, in my opinion. You know, it's, music is usually orchestrated and organized and formatted. And you know, even if you don't have lyrics, there is a, um, it's a different language. You know, I think sound is really the foundation of music. It's, it's sounds are used to make music. But if you just focus on sound, you then t- you just speak a, a very different language, which I like to say is, is universal. You know, whether you do a sound bath in Chinese or in French, it's the same. And I like that. Well, sound is universal, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of one of the oldest, the oldest ways of of people holding communion as a community or, you know, in a religious way. People have always used sound, haven't they? Well, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there or maybe, in a, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I do... I, maybe we were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think sound is really kind of, it's lodged in our, in our bones, in our DNA. And I think, yes, I think I've said that before. I think sound enables us to commune, to celebrate to come together in ceremonies and we do it today and I think a lot of things we do today we did before maybe in a different way but yes so we might not have had gongs made you know with the same alloy of metals and maybe we didn't have gongs at all but we had you know sticks 
and we had the surface of a river or lake to drum on. Um, so, yes, I am a firm believer that sound has played, has been playing a major part in in the way we communicate with ourselves and potentially the um, the, the our consciousness, which is most of the time not made conscious to us. So yes, I think I think the next fifty to hundred years will be very interesting for sound. You know, I think it's it's barely made, it's barely opened its mouth, so to speak. <laughs> Where do gongs actually come from? Because it, it was it a specific culture that started that created a gong. Again, hard to say, but from from all the readings, it looks like it might be um, where Turkey is now, really. Oh, interesting. Other people say, you know, Southeast, uh, you know, Southeast Asia. I think they popped up in different places around the globe, uh, the globe, at different times. Yeah. Now, so for those people listening who might think a sound bath involves water, um, because I originally thought that myself a long time ago, can you actually tell us what happens in a sound bath? Well, every sound bath is is different. Therefore, it's you know, it's impossible to guarantee that such and such is going to happen. But usually, a sound bath is basically an immersive meditation using, you guessed it, sound. Right. So whether you're working with the voice, uh, crystal balls, gongs, chimes, which you might be able to hear in the background. I've got some chimes in the, in the garden. Um, but yeah, basically we facilitate an immersive experience with various instruments which usually have a certain quality to them in the sense that they are uh, multi-harmonic instruments so we're not going to use a piano piano is wonderful but it doesn't really um, doesn't really do the job so we're working with instruments that produce many many frequencies at the same time so that it triggers altered states of consciousness in the person who's lying down. So yeah, in case I forgot to mention that, usually you're lying down, which is very comfortable. And I think that's one of the one of the many traits of a sound bath that makes it so appealing to so many people around the world is, you know, that you don't need to be uh, able to bend yourself into a pretzel and uh, I sometimes have people who are in a wheelchair or people who can't even hear, people who are deaf. So it is very, very accessible. You know, you don't need any skills, any uh, Sanskrit knowledge, you know, any yogic philosophy, understanding, none of that. I think, it, yeah, it's very, it's very organic. It's very natural. And I think it comes to people very quickly. That's why a lot of people's first experience is, it seems so amazing and then it makes them come back, which is a good thing, thank God. You know, which might not be the same. You know, your first yoga class might be extremely challenging. You might injure yourself. I mean, I love yoga, so I tell my clients and I definitely promote yoga and I practice it myself and I experience it. But having said that, I really feel like sound is the most accessible thing that you can do mm. very passive and I suppose yeah and I suppose you know when we spoke originally about the intention for this episode we'd always said it was about 
how sound meditation makes meditation so accessible. So I suppose for people who are new to meditation or want to find a way into it without it seeming so daunting and maybe without going and doing, you know, a, a huge course on different types of meditation, actually just sit or lying, you know, in a sound bath, like you say, brings you to an altered state of awareness or of consciousness. So you're going into this meditative theta state without too much effort on your own part. I feel the most important effort is to actually show up to the session. And for a lot of people, well, that's, exactly, that's the yeah. hardest thing for people to do is to actually decide, you know what, I might need some backup here, some support of some kind. That's the hardest thing, really. It's the realization mm. that something is not quite right or something requires your attention in your life. That's, I think, I feel like that's, for a lot of people, actually for all of us, that's the hardest thing. You know, and then the rest can kind of flow. You can kind of align your footsteps one at a time. I mean, yeah, I think it's accessible. It's uh, it's physically distanced, which is good in this, uh, you know, <laughs> in this sort of uh, age, you know, time that we're going through. Don't need to translate it. Uh, who doesn't like to lie down, really, right? And everybody loves music. You know, and, and even those who don't like music, I've found that somehow they love sound. So it seems that, you know, it's, it's, got, it's got a lot of things um, resonating for, for itself. You know, it's adaptogenic. It's, I think it works really fast on, on our problems and, and it's not dangerous and it's not illegal. So it doesn't surprise me that so many people are, are showing up to, um, to sound baths these days. Yeah, yeah, well, like I said, I mean, you know, I've studied different forms of meditation over the years, and, you know, I do take my meditation practice quite seriously, but there's a lot to be said for just lying down and having someone provide this beautiful sound that really just does take you into some altered state of consciousness where you don't actually have to do much yourself to get there and there is a lot of healing that takes place in a situation like that because we're not giving any resistance we're not trying to do anything well uh, yes and no I think receiving is extremely important I think there's a lot to be said about self-practice but um, experiencing meditation as a group and receiving as someone who's passive on the floor is, I think, is very, very transformational. And in terms of like altered states and theta states, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are throwing these words um, into the equation and, and they're, they're correct. But having said that, when your brain is in, you know, is producing theta, theta waves, it's also producing alpha waves, even some beta waves, which not really associated with meditation and yet you know when you're experiencing sound what you find out when you speak to neuroscientists is that your whole brain fires up right so it's not just about hitting that theta state at like you know two hertz or three hertz which you know if you were looking at a graph is really like a very slow and, and, and smooth wave as opposed to like you know gamma or something which is really you know, angular and sharp. Um, so when you experience a sound bath, lots and lots of things happen. 
and we we've got to catch up in terms of like biofeedback and science on the subject and I'm involved with um, quite a few people now in the field to try and, and make that happen once people can can really come back together in a room which I hope will be soon but from what I've read and from what I've heard yes you go into you go from beta into alpha stage which is like the zone and then you get a bit of theta which is you know associated with trans states uh, and also the you know the, the state that children are in you know up until the age of seven you know most children spend a lot of their time in theta state that's why they can play and and use their imagination so so beautifully and so creatively so there's a lot to be said about that and i think the delta we all know what it sounds like that's delta state <laughs> which you can hear which you can hear plenty of um, in a sound bath and i somehow quite like it uh, both as a facilitator and as um, as a guest if i ever have time to to go to one myself i always find that the sound of somebody snoring obviously there are exceptions to this rule but i always feel quite safe when i hear and happy for that person that they're they're able to to let go and and go deep mm. i would i would surmise from that that you don't have to sleep next to one every night then <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right <laughs> You've touched on the waves and I I like that there's kind of science to sound because I'm a sciencey kind of person. I like to know the intricacies of what makes something work. So can you talk more a bit more about the waves and the, the frequencies of sound and how this actually works? Yes. So again, I think this is something that needs to be um how can I say to be looked into more thoroughly. But you've got you've got the gamma state, you've got the beta state, the alpha state, the theta state, the delta state, and then you've got some even sub-delta states. But like I said, it's never um, a singular brainwave state that you're in. It's always a combination of waves, you know. But let's say that you are experiencing an outer body. Um, feeling or sensation during a sound bath or you're very likely to have more theta waves than beta but really i think any transformational experience will fire up you know a lot of different neurons from different parts of the brain okay but usually gamma state you know they say that it can there's conflicting really sources in that department some people say that gamma state is associated with deep meditative states experienced by the monks you know and that some some people um, using the didgeridoo or other instruments get into that state that gamma state but then other people say that gamma state is associated with sleep and other people say that beta state is associated with stress but yet you can see in some scans that people who are totally trancing out are experiencing beta waves as they are experiencing theta and alpha and gamma so it's really a, a vibrational soup which is is hard, hard to define in my opinion and i think it's it would be a mistake to try and and be too conclusive at this stage but i think the, the conclusion really is that sound really fires up your whole brain 
and it trains your nervous system. That's what I would say. Vibrational soup. That is the best term I've ever heard. <laughs> and if you write another book, I think it should be called vibrational soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it is quite a, a good title. I'll try and, and uh, store it somewhere. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've heard you talk before about entertainment, um, about entrainment versus entertainment, which is a really interesting concept. So I'd be interested to hear you talk about that a bit more. Yes. And I, I'm a big fan of both, I'll be honest. I think being entertained is incredibly important, really. And uh, mm-hmm. I might have missed some of that you know, in my life in the past, maybe two years or so. But I'm slowly reintroducing um, healthy doses of entertainment, you know, because you can really go either way in this day and age, you know. We're so pulled into Netflix and social media and, and you know, going out, going to theatre and then meeting so many friends every week. I mean, that obviously hasn't happened you know, lately because of COVID, but you, it's very hard to have a just middle and the just middle will look different for everybody. But anyway, back to entrainment versus entertainment. Yes, I think most music is therapeutic. Having said that, most music is also entertaining and there's nothing wrong with that having said that sound the way I approach it and the way I facilitate it for my clients and all the people who've been to my sound baths in the past 10 years or so experience what I call brain entrainment which is sometimes associated with binaural beats but I think there's not enough research really on, on, on binaural beats, especially since most of them are synthetic. Again, you could have a synthetic sound that's very healing, I'm so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with synthetic sounds, but I feel like you get binaural beats from a gong and singing balls or two or three crystal balls working together simultaneously. You get that. So in my opinion, Binaural beats should be organic and they should be acoustic and uh, fine if they're on a recording. That's what my app does. I think that's, I can, I tested it on myself before producing the app and it, it works great. That's why I made the app because it works great and it makes it accessible to a lot more people, right? You don't need to rock up to Marlebone or Camden or uh, Venice Beach to go to your sound bath. You, know, you can do that in your bed or on the on the aeroplane or against a tree with your headphones. So so yes, I know I'm I digress a little bit, but entrainment for me is I guess exposing yourself to certain vibrations, acoustic vibrations, which in many ways train your nervous system and therefore help your brain to produce certain waves like the ones we've just described, you know, alpha, theta waves, and so on. So it's almost like when you lie down in a sound bath, you somehow retrain your brain to recognize and then produce the waves that you're your life is hungry for in many ways. So it's almost like, <clears throat> even though a lot of people are struggling with sleep, 
you know, people are still able to sleep, you know, to sleep and have a deep sleep cycle and a bit of REM. So that's something that, you know, we're not struggling that much with compared to, I would say, theta waves, you know, which is associated with, you know, trance and you could say um, deep creativity, you know, really suddenly having a uh, 360 perspective on something, total lateral thinking. Um, and alpha to some extent, to some extent, you know, a lot of people in the world aren't able to to have that time in alpha and theta states, and they're both essential, just as much as snoring, you know, in bed at night. So, my theory is that when you go to a sand bath, you retrain, you go to brain camp, <laughs> you go to nervous system training hit. It's a bit like that, actually, because the crescendos, the up and down in terms of dynamics and volume, really, yeah, chisel at your nervous system, I would say. They retrain your nervous system so that you can cope with those, yeah, those fast, like the fastness of life, and the, the pace of, of life, which is just exponentially speeding up because of technology and, and what's happening in the world um, on different levels, in my opinion, not just technology. I think energetically as well. So yeah, there's a long answer, but the idea is that nothing wrong with entertainment, but we, I believe, require a bit more downtime on the horizontal plane, exposing our brains and therefore our nervous system to alpha waves and theta waves. That's my theory. And, I, and, it, and it does it. It does the job pretty well. <laughs> There's a saying that the healthiest, wealthiest and most successful, successful people in the world choose education over entertainment. And I think it's very true. But I'm also a fan of balance. And like you say, you know, a little bit of entertainment. Um I think it's important to do things that there's a doctor that um, deals with uh, the psychosomatic element of chronic pain called Dr. John Sarno. And he talks about putting a lot of um, effort into our healing through journaling and meditation and brain training and all these things. But he also talks about something called the soothe factor, which is then paying attention to none of that and then just doing something that just makes you feel good. Not because you want to learn anything or particularly gain anything other than just some light entertainment. And I think as humans, you know, well, beings in this human experience, we do need that as well. The way I see it is many things can make you feel good. Even pain can make yeah. you feel good. And learning can make you feel good, right? So it, it's important to, and again, out of those sound baths, you also get a, perhaps a better or different understanding out of what your, your person, your inner child, your adult, want and are hungry and thirsty for and some entertainment is beneficial some is not regardless of how much of it you know and it's the same with learning i think if you're learning for the sake of learning i think it's going to create a lot of friction in your nervous system but i think if you're learning because you're hungry like let's say warren buffett who you know reads six seven hours a day and he loves it and then there's lots of other people i'm sure in the world who who love learning in different ways not just through reading I think it's really important to make time for what we love. And when I say that, it doesn't mean it has to be six hours. But it, you know, I'd say if you can't find 10 minutes for what you love every day, then then you need to come to my sound bath. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. Listen, I, I love, I'm very inquisitive. I love learning. I would spend all my time studying and reading and writing if I could. But in terms of, you know, like you said about things moving so quickly, and I read something about, you know, the amount of information that goes through our brains in 2020 versus, I, I mean, I can't remember the exact facts. It was in the, a book um, called Limitless by Jim Quick. Uh, versus the amount of information that we had to retain 200 years ago. It's astonishing. And, you know, that even just the going on social media and the the mere watching a Netflix program, those things are creating, you know, the, the, the need for your brain to make more and more space. And when you're learning all the time, your brain is working, you're thinking about what you need to retain, or and you know, even, I love my work, I love what I do, I could work, you know, I would love to just be working all day, every day, but then you need to move away from that just to give your brain that space, so, um, yeah, and I think, you know, sound baths are a great way to do that. Um, you mentioned your app, and it's such a beautiful app, and the meditations are just so gorgeous, um, talk us through a little bit what it offers, well, first of all, I think uh, I really want to highlight the fact that my sister Julie uh, goes on there and made um, just made a, yeah, like you said, a, a beautiful, delightful app that I think it just makes you want to open it and look at it, you know. And she drew amazing animals for each meditation. I mean, it's just incredible. So even if you don't like. Um, even if you don't have, you know, headphones or you can't hear it, just open it and just look at it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's as aesthetically pleasing as it is in terms of the sound available. Yeah, uh, in terms of sound, we've used the best microphones out there to capture the richness of all the instruments. And, uh, and I think we've done a good job with um, Greg, um, my producer Greg, or Matt William, who's been, uh, again, instrumental in in the success of the app and the quality of the content. So how can I walk you through it? Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, you, you can meditate with the moon every night, which is awesome. So we are working with a um, one of my gongs, which is tuned to the synodic cycle of the moon, about 29 and a half days um, of cycle. And every night you get a, a fresh recording, a nightly recording between 6 p.m. and 5 a.m., to uh, meditate with the moon for like 10, between 10 and 20 minutes. And then uh, Marilyn Kiskula-Drumond from, from um, Milky Moon Lab writes a tip as well um, for you to approach the moon in its, uh, in its current you know, phase uh, out of the cycle, which is really cool. So that's uh, every night, the moon meditation, uh, which people love to use to go to sleep. And then you have uh, pick and choose, like a huge library of sounds. We even have like some mindfulness meditations from, um, what's his name? Jack Cornfield, who's the author of A Path with Heart. And uh, Peter Gabriel, who gifted us a, uh, yes, from Genesis, yes. They are both ambassadors from um, Evolving Planet 7 and um, Project Peace on Earth. Um, who we're working with to make the uh, the app accessible to refugees and also uh, veterans with PTSD. So so yeah, it's a great app. Um, very different from you know Calm or Headspace. I think people who've been to Sandbaths will love 
third ear because it just gives you a sound bath on the go in your pocket. It's like uh, a sound sanctuary, you know. So you've got the pick and choose mode where you can have like you know, chimes, different gongs, crystal balls, singing balls from Nepal, uh, carob pods, different ocean drums, rattles. I mean, you've got the whole thing, basically, a whole sonic library. And then, what else do we have? Yes, sound journeys, where I've combined different instruments on the same meditation. And these are coupled with what you might say is uh, an oracle, um, an animal archetype. And each animal has a mantra for you. And, uh, and Judy's obviously behind the drawings. And, and yeah, it's, it's something that's quite playful. So a lot of Sarah's clients use the, this part of the app with their children. And they just love it. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful app. And I would highly recommend anyone listening who even remotely is interested in meditation to download it and give it a go. I mean, even if you're on, on the train or on the tube, you know, it's a great way to kind of unwind before or after a day of work. Especially since the, you know, the ear pods and headphones out there now are just really good, especially those with uh, noise cancellation. I just think you really feel like you're in the room with the gongs and the other instruments. And and I think it's simple. It's essential, really. And that's, I invested a lot on the sound quality. You know, and it's it's a tough, tough thing to record really because it's usually you know experienced live in the room. So we worked quite hard with Greg, and I think uh, we've done a great job. So I'm very uh, very excited. Yeah, I think I think you can you can definitely tell the amount of effort that's gone into making the sound quality, you know, amazing. So yeah, I think people will enjoy that. Um, I just want to get onto um, you do offer. Uh, training to be a sound healing practitioner and I know you're quite um, specific about who you allow or not allow but who you bring (laughs) in to do it Um, and your process is fairly rigorous so I'd like to hear what what's involved in your training (laughs) a lot of sweat and tears no I'm kidding (laughs) although if you asked my uh, my alumni my um, graduates they would say that I made them work very hard to get their um, get to the end of the training and get a certificate. Obviously, the certificate is not the, uh, is not what, you know, they did the training for. But um, in fact, I always say, like, if I have graduates, so people who finish my training and who pass the exams and who've done all the assignments, um, who end up with a, my certificate somewhere with dust on them in a storage space or you know, in a cupboard or in a drawer, then I've failed miserably. So I'm pretty tough on myself and I'm tough on others. And you can ask Sarah, I am tough on people and I'm very intense. <laughs> very too intense oftentimes. But I think uh, the, on the plus side, you know, uh, I've, I've really created a hybrid training which, which delivers great opportunities for people to actually turn this training into a vocation and um, a job which is not often the case, you know, the amount of people who, and in fact, it's amazing, I've got one of my students from my new group who's created a startup to help uh, yoga teachers who have just graduated because he felt, and that feeling is shared in the community, I know, um, that there, there just aren't many opportunities for new yoga teachers unless they are marketing geniuses and 
and you know have the contacts and this and that and the Instagram and blah blah blah. So yeah, David and I can't remember now his um, startup, but it, it's going to do well. So it will pop up on your screens at some point, I'm sure. But anyway, yeah, the training. I mean, the, the just to give you an idea, like to gather a community of thirty students per group. Um, per intake of my training, I speak to about like three to four hundred people. So about one wow. person out of ten gets selected, and I'm not trying to big the course up or big myself up or whatever. And and the people who don't end up doing it, it doesn't mean that they're not you know they're not good or that they won't be good at sound. But I, I'm just very particular about the um, the community that I'm that I'm facilitating and building, and. I expect my students to, even after graduation, that they stay involved um, and contribute to the community and help my new students and share their experiences. I mean, uh, yeah, I've I really feel like I've taken what I've enjoyed and appreciated from trainings that I've taken uh, in all the fields. You know, not just sound, not just yoga, but all the trainings that I've taken, even like you know my degree and high diplomas and all, all of that, um, any courses that I've taken online. I've taken what I love and then I've discarded what I thought was useless or just quite frankly unpleasant and I've created this hybrid training and, um, and I think it's amazing because it's accredited by Yoga Alliance and the CMA and it's the first 200 hour sound training out there and I think it's important to make sure that you know when I go to California that in London and around the world, really, there are people who who are ethical, knowledgeable, and who've worked hard and, and, you know, had some tears and some sweats in the process. You know, it's really important to to feel like it. And I think for them as well, to feel like you've worked for what you have. And, uh, and I, I share everything with them. I share every tool, every trick, everything that I've done, every strategy that I've put together not just how to work with the gong and the visualizations and the, the sound knowledge and all the experts that I'm bringing into it we've got neuroscientists you know I mean the whole curriculum is again I put it together because I would have wanted to have taken this training but aside from that you know I really want people to feel supported during and after and that was one of my goals is to make sure that people who are asked about my training they can only say amazing things about it. So that's my mission. <laughs> it's astonishing to me that there are that many people per potential training who actually know about and are interested in training to be a sound bath practitioner. So that just kind of shows where how far we've come. Very true. I mean, I remember when I did my first sound bath on my own without a yoga teacher. And, you know, you'd have four or five people showing up. 10 years on but even less let's say after three years they were full I'd have like five, 50, 60 people and then I've done sound bath for you know 2,000 people in Croatia um, you know hundreds of people in, in London at a time different festivals and then yeah it's, it's I, like I said it it was bound to become popular not because of me but because it's so accessible and that's it. That's all there is to say about it. It's it's, yeah. it's accessible. Yeah, it's 
it's it boosts your creativity even if you're not an artist and then through that creativity it makes you hungry for your purpose you know it makes you feel like actually i want to really feel fulfilled and i want to feel i want to create confidence in my life and understand why i'm not confident so there's a lot of like self-inquiry that goes into the process so it's not just going to sound bath to be relaxed and sleep well it's that you do a lot of lateral thinking in the sound bath and then you think even more afterwards and you have ideas and then your subconscious mind starts to behave differently uh, you have a stronger nervous system you don't have to bend into a pretzel you know you can just be lying down and change position every 10 minutes if necessary um, you're less identified with your story with the ego which by the way i think is necessary we need an ego to do things if i didn't have an ego i wouldn't have done the things i've done in the past 10 years uh, the sense of sense of oneness i think which we touch to really you know in, in terms of ceremonies in the past and um, tribes coming together all around the world and I think that's something we should say is that sound has been used by people from all over the world whether you're Swiss South American Mongolian American African Australian it's like it's 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 in our bones I think that's a beautiful note to end on uh, because that was our intention for the episode. Why are sound baths so, uh, why they're making meditation accessible? So that's really beautiful. <laughs> As you know, I end every episode with a little segment called All About You, where the listeners can get to know you a bit more. Well, yeah, I saw um, that in your email and I decided not to read because I remember you asking me the questions last time. And that was, what, a year ago? Ah, and then I saw in your yeah. email from yesterday the, type, the, you know, the, the, the kind of last segment of your email and I was like, oh, I'm not going to read that. So, uh, oh, I'm you gonna... want it to be organic. I think okay, it has fine. to be. Some people just... Yeah, and I like it when it is, but you know, some people just kind of sit there and they're like, oh, I don't know. And then later on they say, do you know what? I had this amazing answer, but because I was put on the spot, I didn't think of it, but it was right there, you know, <laughs> what I would have wanted to answer. So, you know what, I just sometimes I, I think it's good for people to of have course. a heads up. Absolutely. Anyway, so I hope I won't go. fail you. You won't fail me. And these are kind of short, snappy answers. So an ethos or quote that you live by? It's not the most eloquent quote but I think it's it seems to come back in my life year after year um, I read all of Charles Bukowski and I'm aware this answer is no, not short anymore I'm sorry <laughs> Charles Bukowski's <laughs> books and I, I loved his writing and one of his quotes and I guess that's my favorite and it's always in the back of my mind is sometimes you have to pee in the sink and, and I might explain why because you might think well that's a bit strange because to me it's it's all about being resourceful and looking for <laughs> angles, different angles and ways to make it work, you know, the best you can. Mm. And if the toilets yeah. don't work, well, you might just have to pee in the sink. <laughs> I really like that. That's a really interesting answer and I wasn't expecting it. That's great. Uh, so the next one. If you had all the time in the world to learn one skill totally separate from anything you do right now, what would it be? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, which is not totally separate, is learning the guitar. Totally not separate. You know, you know I, think, I think maybe deep diving would be pretty amazing. Like if I could learn to hold my breath and swim in icy waters for like six, seven minutes, that'd be pretty awesome. Yep, another good answer. Um, when are you most inspired? I think I'm most inspired when I don't try to be. Mm. So 
I think, a good example when I was actually talking to my dad the other day about this. We were talking about a quote from Picasso who says, inspiration, something on the lines of, inspiration must find you working. And I said to my dad, well, I really like this quote, but actually I find that most of the time for me, inspiration strikes when I'm not working. But And then to which he said, yes, and we both agreed, but in some ways it's the work that you did maybe two weeks ago or yesterday or five years ago that is still resonating in your subconscious mind in some ways. Well, he didn't say that in the subconscious mind, but... And therefore there's like a knock-on effect and there's like a, a delay. But if you didn't put the work in two weeks ago maybe and now you're on holiday and suddenly you get this inspiration you might not have had it or you might not have perceived it if that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense i get a lot of my inspiration for work stuff when i'm meditating which kind of defeats the object almost and sometimes i'm like oh you know i should be in a different place right now but actually that's how it comes to me so it you know what you said just makes a lot of sense yeah meditation really helps you to fish a lot of stuff from you know the subconscious mind and and sometimes yeah, it's absolutely. work stuff sometimes it's personal sometimes good sometimes it's bad i don't think meditation has to be anything um it's best not to put it in the box so i think if you have ideas in your meditation it's still a meditation yeah no i agree i mean you know meditation shouldn't have to be uh you know that we're in some state of that we've reached some sort of state of enlightenment but sometimes you kind of just wish that your brain would slow down but actually I get some of my best ideas in that time so yeah because otherwise it gets controlling you know what I mean it's like Mm. just allow each meditation to to be to be whatever it is each time you know sometimes it's about hearing your your thoughts being totally silly and sometimes it's about hearing the deep silence and you don't get to choose (laughs) Mm. yeah that's so true you don't get to choose what are you reading right now I am uh, I'm reading um Apropos of Nothing by Woody Allen. Oh, interesting. So, Leo, thank you so much for all your wisdom that you have offered today. Uh, you are you're very kindly offered uh, our listeners a short sound bath from your meditation app, which we're going to end with. But we, before we get there, um, tell us where everyone can find you. Well, I don't know if I want to tell people where they can find you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, they can find your me. Your training, your it, website, your Instagram. Yeah, they can find me walking in Queen's Park. They can find me on Instagram uh, at leo.cosonder. Um, there's sometimes a guy called another guy called Leo that comes up first. I don't know. I don't know how that's happening. I don't know if you might know who that <laughs> is. <laughs> anyway, uh, leocosonder.com. That's my website. Uh, where you can find out more about my next um, trainings. The next one is in London uh, in March 2021. So six, seven month training. And then you can find my app, Third Ear, in, um, on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. And I've got an audiobook called Seven Days of Sound Meditation, which you can find on Audible and Apple Books as well. Great. We'll make sure to link everything below in the notes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren. And everyone, listeners, please enjoy the sound bath to follow from the Third Ear app.
The Reconditioned Podcast is proud to support Solace Women's Aid, who supports survivors of domestic abuse and sexual violence, working with over 27,000 people each year to build safe lives and strong futures.